And we're in the 95th Psalm, 95. And this is a psalm, a call to worship. A call to worship. And then 96 is a call for universal worship. So they're rather linked together in a certain sense. And then Psalm 97, we might have some things that are indicated when the Lord comes in glory. So I've prepared these three psalms, and we'll see how far we get. Let's start with Psalm 95, if you will. Verse 1. It says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This says how and why. How and why we should worship. How we're to worship and why we're to worship. First of all, how by singing unto the Lord with a song of joy. We're to come into the Lord's presence with a song of joy. In Psalm 100 and verse 1, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. So we find that we're to come into His presence with singing. Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. This is why, because He's our Savior. Because He is our salvation. And He's the rock of our salvation. He's the solid rock upon which we stand. He's lifted me out of the miry clay and set my feet on the solid rock and established my goings. He's put a new song in my heart, even praise to our God, and many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. That's Psalm 40, I believe. First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 1, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Talking about our salvation, we're already call the sons of God. And it's a matter of God's love. Behold what matter of love God has bestowed upon us. That we should be called the sons of God. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Some people say, well, we're sons of God in eternity. But right now, here and now, present tense, we're sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him, and we will see Him as He is. And by the way, it says, Every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The incentive to a holy life and a godly life rests on the fact of the assurance of salvation and of your presence at Christ's coming. People say, Well, you know, if I knew I was saved and knew I was going to heaven, I'd live in... They talk about living an ungodly life or a selfish life or a sinful life or live like they want to. Yes, but that want to is changed once you trust Jesus. You want to live for the Lord. In fact, that's why you trust Him. You, you've made up your mind you want to surrender the will of God. The Bible says, He that doeth the will of God, what abideth forever. So it has something to do with making you a new creature and a different person. And your desires different, your aspirations, uh, your motivations, and all that uh, about your life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I like that rock. That rock of our salvation. We sing the song on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus said, Upon this rock, and he spoke of himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, Peter, thou art Peter, thou art a little pebble, you're a little stone. But he says, Upon this rock, and he used the word, a huge, uh, massive, great rock, like we use the term, the rock of Gibraltar. And 
He is that great rock upon which our salvation is built. He is the foundation. It says He is the chief cornerstone. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The Bible says He's a tried stone. He's tested and proven. And whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed or confounded or confused or have to go back to a second time to try to figure out how he's going to be saved or go somewhere else. He's not going to be confused. He'll know that Jesus is the Savior, and he's the one and only. You take a person that's trusted the Lord as their Savior, they know that he's the one and only one. They know, they know that there's not any other one. They know that there's not two. They know there's not three. They know there's not an angel or a saint or someone up in heaven that's saved. They know it's the Lord. He's the one and only Savior. If you've trusted Him, you know that to be a fact. And by the way, you should cling to it with dear life because the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so it tells us how and why we should worship Him in verse 1. Look at verse 2. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Where and how to worship? The first thought in verse 1 was how and why. How and why? This is where and how. Have you ever thought about how and why? That's verse 1. How is singing joyfully. And why is salvation. And then verse 2, where and how. It says, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. So where is into His presence? Where His presence is manifested. By the way, where is God's presence manifested? Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And the Holy Spirit's present. He's, he's with us in the presence and power of His Spirit. His Holy Spirit tells us of His presence. We witness His presence here Sunday morning. I believe the Lord was right in the middle of us Sunday morning. And, you know, God knows uh, that Jesus promised. And the, we believe as Christians and as New Testament believers that Christ is the head of the church and the Holy Spirit is the only administrator that He has to oversee everything that's done. And He does it through and in accordance to the Word of God. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, when I leave you the Comforter, he, when He comes, He will guide you into all truth. And He'll reveal the thing, my things unto you. And He'll reveal me. And He'll not speak of Himself. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of Himself, but He speaks of Christ. He shall glorify me. And He shall be with you. And He shall be in you. And He shall be, uh, uh, be in you forever. So He's a permanent, eternal, indwelling presence for every believer. I love that. It's a wonderful truth. And Jesus promised that we should come into His presence. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, verse 1 and 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Psalm, when we get to it, by the way, we'll get to it just about thanksgiving, won't we? Uh, psalm 103 is a thanksgiving psalm, if you turn a page or two in your Bible. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Look at these things. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, 
who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed as the eagles. Well, that's, he does a lot, doesn't he? He forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. He redeems us from destruction. He rewards us with, uh, with uh, an incorruptible crown. He satisfies us, both soul and body. He protects us when we're oppressed. You go on down. In verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Look at the benefits. Talk about people. Have you ever heard people say what all they gave up becoming a Christian? Have you ever heard anyone say what all they received by becoming a Christian? That's what we ought to dwell on, isn't it? Not what we gave up. You didn't give up anything. You, you may have laid aside some things that you should have already put aside, and that's probably what you ought to have done long before, is get rid of them. By the way, and if you've got things, evil thoughts and bad things that, that uh, come across your mind, they're there. But the best way to get rid of those is to replace them with good things. And I'm talking about anything that's of an evil nature, whether it's uh, selfishness or lust or, or greed or jealousy or, or, what, or whatever these things are. Replace it with good things. And if you'll do that, God will bless your life. Because your mind has to be filled with something. But if you're going to leave it empty there and just leave it open to all the trash and garbage that people throw in there, and especially the devil, he's pretty good at that. He can fill it with everything but what it ought to be filled with. And if you'll fill your life with the things of God and with the Word of God and take time to pray, Brother Nichols read a sermon, I mean, read a poem Sunday, uh, I believe, or a few days back, and I don't know if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, whatever. But talking about prayer, praying all the time. Just keep on praying. Prayer is a good thought, isn't it? When you have a problem, pray. And sometimes you'll feel like, well, you know, I've prayed about this and it's just not working out. You just keep on praying and God will see to it. Finally, it does work out. He'll make sure it works out. Just don't give up. Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Luke 18, verse 1. And the word faint there means to give up in despair. You've heard people just grab their stomach and just fall down on the seat just like everything's gone apart, you know, and say, I just can't do anything. That's what it's talking about, to faint or to fold up, cave in. Don't do that. You stay, keep on praying, and God will work it out. Verse uh, 2. Okay, verse 3 now. Look at this. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. He's such a great God and King that He deserves our adoration. Remember when Jesus comes again, He's going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible tells us that He's the Prince of the kings of the earth. Unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. That's Revelation, I believe, chapter 1, verse 5. Look in verse 4 here. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. Look. The strength of the hills is His also. His power and strength is unlimited. God has all power. Jesus said, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. He has all creation. A power of creation. In verse 5 it says, The sea is His, and He made it, 
and his hands formed the dry land. We read these things and we don't realize the sea is his and he what? He made it. Have you ever looked upon the sea or the seas and the oceans? It says God made it. And it says what else? And his hands formed the dry land. We have an earth some 25,000 miles around. Sits upon its axis. And this, this is a great, a large earth. And yet it's very small. But God just made it with his hands. It says right here, his hands formed the dry land. He took of this dust of the earth after he made the earth and he formed man. He made man out of a piece of clay. He made, made man. And then he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Actually, it says lives, plural. And man became a living soul. God made man and he's always been man. And you and I to respect the dignity of man. It says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, of the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. And in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus. The only thing not under him is Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And on and on, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? Hebrews chapter 2, by the way, is where we've been given. But God has blessed us, hasn't he? For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Remember the psalmist said, I will lift up my, mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. I believe that's Psalm 127. Let's see if it's Psalm 127. Psalm 127 and uh, no 121 and verse one. It says, "I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord." Now look, which made heaven and earth. It goes back to His uh, power in creation. 121 verse one. <coughs> Psalm 95, now look at verse 6, verse 6. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Here is a call to worship, and it's repeated. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. He's not only our Maker, but He's our Savior. He's our Maker. He created us. There's two, there's, you know, there are two great reasons that you and I should worship the Lord. First of all, because He made us, and then because He saved us. Uh, he, he created us twice. He made us men, and then He made us, He created a new creature in us because we had fallen. We're twice created by the Lord as Christians. We've already been once created. And then when He saved us, He created us again, made us a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. We need to bow down before the Lord. The Bible says, Before Jesus, every knee shall bow. The Bible says, Let this in Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's his downward, that's downward, humiliation. Then he says, Wherefore, because he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word there, Lord, shows us that he's, that, that reputes the Jehovah's Witness theory. He's Lord. That word means he's Jehovah. That he's God manifest in the flesh. That he's actually God. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It puts him on equality with God. That one verse alone reputes all the false teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses. By the way, it is false teaching. You just well face that. And you should know it and you should tell people it is. And you should also remind yourself that it is when they try to trap you with some of their sugar-coated pills. (laughs) See, what they do, they have just enough truth in some things to sugarcoat it and get you to swallow their false doctrine. See, that's the way pills are every day that we take. They coat the things over so you don't taste what's on the inside. You try chewing one of those capsules and see how you end up. Brother? Tastes horrible, doesn't it? That little shell around there protects it till you get it down. But I'm telling you, and see, that's what false doctrine is. It's poison inside or it's, it's, uh, it's uh, covered over. And they give you just enough of that truth to sugarcoat all the lies that you, that you get to swallow along with it. Christian scientists do the same thing. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, Spiritism, all this witchery stuff that's going on, don't pay any attention to that. Don't have anything to do with the witches or wizards or fortune tellers or palm readers or all these people that's going to tell you about the future and all this psychic stuff on the television. You leave it alone. They say they're the real psychics, you know. They're the genuine ones. Don't fool with those second-rated ones. You get to us, they advertise. Don't fool with any of them. There's only two things about those things. By the way, I don't know if I'm off the subject now, but I'll give you this anyway. Uh, two things. One of them's after your soul, and the other one's after your money. That's all there is. That's all there is to it. And uh, you just better leave them alone. Someone says, let's go to have a Halloween carnival, and let's have a, a fortune teller booth over here and all that. That's all the devil's work. This church doesn't promote Halloween stuff. If the kids want to go out and have fun, play a little trick-or-treat, let them do it. I'm not going to get uh, hard to the core on what kids having fun, but most of them don't even realize that they're just out there to have a good time. They don't realize the background behind it, which is all right. I'm glad they don't. It's better they don't even know what, what it's all about.
It's better they go out there and say, I'm supposed to dress up like a clown and go out and get some candy. And if that's all they're going to do, let them alone. Don't bother. But on the other hand, uh, when it comes right down to the actual fact of the, of the things, you get the knowledge of it and you know where you stand on it. Okay, where were we? Verse uh, 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Now look, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. And let's just stop there with verse 7 a minute. Notice this verse, verse 7. It says, For He is our God. If we claim Him, He will claim us. He is our God. Do you claim the Lord as your God? Well, then He'll claim you as belonging to Him. It says, If we confess Him, but Jesus said, Whosoever shall confess Me before men, claim Him. He is our God. Him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. You see, the first thing we need to do is surrender to Him. And when, when we claim Him as our Savior, receive the Bible says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. The right or authority. He gave them the right to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And that's what that word power means. It means to them gave he, them the right and the authority to call themselves sons of God because they received Him. Someone says, are you a child of God? Yes, I am. Well, just say, preacher, how do you know? Because I've received Him and I've believed on Him. And the Bible says, uh, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born of God. As many as received Him. Okay, back to this now. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. God's people are compared as sheep, and the sheep of His hand. God's people are like sheep. By the way, they're not like dogs or hogs. You know, in the New Testament, Peter's talking about the dog turning to his vomit again, the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire, and someone comes along and sees says, now I told you that you could be saved and lost. That is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about sheep. He's talking about dogs and hogs, right? You know, they didn't have a changed nature. God's people are sheep. They're never compared to dogs or swine. You see, you can't change the nature of that creature. If he's a dog, he's going to be a dog. And if he's a, if he's a, a pig, he's going to be a pig. And don't change them, you know. And don't say, well, they, that means that they were Christians. They went back to their walling in the mire. Uh, they were Christians and they turned back to the hog uh, category. No. You just don't change nature that, that easy, do you? I think if they're born a pig, they die a pig, don't you? And if they're born a dog, they die a dog. If you're born a sheep, you live and die as a sheep and you belong to God. And we as the people of God are the sheep of His pasture. It says right here. He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice and I know them. I give them to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. We're the sheep of His hand. And we're in His hand. <coughs> I love that. You know, I don't believe I can preach the Bible without preaching security. Amen. I don't see how anyone can. 
What are you saved from? You're saved from death, hell, and the grave. You're saved by the power of God. You're saved to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You're kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're His sheep. You're in the hollow of His hand. And He says, I and my Father are one, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's security to me. I believe once you belong to the Lord, you belong to Him. You may do a lot of things you ought not to do. You know, you've got children that do things you don't want them to do. But they're still your children. And I'm sure the Lord gets as fed up with us sometimes as we do our children when they disobey and they go off and do things that are silly and foolish and, and uh, unpredictable and, and, uh, and unwise. And we try to correct them and we try to give them guidance and everything. But... Do you ever see us throwing them away and saying, you know, they're not ours anymore. I'm not going to have anything to do with them. That's a pretty hard dose to take. Isn't it? I don't think we do that. I don't believe we're going to do that. And uh, I know even if man does do it occasionally, God doesn't do it. He says a woman may forsake her sucking child, and this is a rarity, isn't it? Exception to the rule. But he says, I will not, not forsake you. He says that may be the case in the human realm, but it's not the case in the divine realm. God's not like man. Aren't we thankful for that? You know there's some good things in the Bible, aren't there? I just love to teach the Bible because it gives us so many good instructions. And if we'll just follow it, 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 it's just rich and full. And you know it's so harmonious. Everything means everything is in harmony. It doesn't contradict itself. Once in a while we'll come up with a scripture and we'll say, well, now this seems like this is opposite of that. But you know, the, the contradiction is in our ability to understand what God says. That's where the only contradiction. All of it is in harmony. As far as God's Word is concerned, there's nothing that's said in the reverse or put uh, in the opposite way or, or contradicts itself or opposing forces. We may not understand all the details. And we need to pray for more understanding when we feel like there's something there that's, that's going wrong in, as far as Scripture is concerned. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. As in the provocation. That was the contention in the wilderness. As in the day of temptation in the wilderness when God's people, He had delivered them out of Egypt by a strong hand. They were in the wilderness and ready to enter into Canaan. And there was a whole generation that did not believe God. And God says, okay, I'll just permit you to waste away right here in the wilderness and none of you shall enter that land of rest because of unbelief, He says. You read Hebrews chapter 3 in connection with this. They could not enter in because of unbelief. And you know, the thing about it is, all those people from 20 years old and upward that came out of all the adults, with the exception of two men, Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. And you know their argument was, you brought us and our children and our wives and our children to die here in the wilderness. Well, the children made it in. But the parents thought that their children were uh, going to die in the wilderness and they used this for an excuse to 
to say to Moses, we wish we'd have stayed in Egypt. And God says, okay, if you think that uh, they're going to die in the wilderness, it's not going to be them, it's going to be you. And then all the children of Israel went on in to Canaan's land, possessed the land. And the Bible says they could not enter in because of unbelief. That was t- the Canaan's land was symbolical of their rest, their place of rest. This was the rest that He promised them, the rest of Canaan. And they did not enter in that rest because of unbelief. You know, as a Christian, you may enter into you, the Lord may deliver you. And you may not enter into rest because of unbelief in your life as a Christian. And you'll destroy yourself in the wilderness. Wandering around, disbelieving God, and not accepting the rest that He has for you. Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Canaan is a picture of the rest that we have in Christ by fully trusting Him. Why is Canaan not a picture of heaven? Well, they had to go in and possess the land. They had to fight for it. They had to war for it. They had to go in and work for it. We don't work for heaven. We enter heaven freely, don't we? And we don't have to fight for heaven. They had to go in and every... uh, They had to uh, walk throughout the land and every place the sole of your foot shall trod and all the wars and you had to cast out the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites and all the Ites and the Canaanites of the land of Canaan. We don't have to do that in enter in heaven. So it's a picture of the rest that God's people can have that they don't have because they will not go in and possess the land that is theirs. And because of unbelief and because they provoke God in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. They would not follow God, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. A sad story for those that are His people. So, it's one thing to be a child of God. It's another thing to be a disobedient child of God and go on in this wilderness life, not trusting God as you should, and wasting away, wasting away, not conquering the land, not possessing the blessings. It was a good land that flowed with milk and honey. Remember old Joshua and Caleb says, well, it's a good land. We are well able to possess it. And they sent up 12 spies and 10 of them were the opposite view of Joshua and Caleb. Ten of them came back with an evil report and said, there's giants over there and they're bigger than we are and we're like grasshoppers in their sight and we just cannot uh, fight against them. And they had on a staff a cluster of grapes that had to be born on a staff between two men of that land. They had proof of the fruitfulness of that land right between them. You know, God says, here it is and you've got it And then we step back there. No, I'm afraid. I can't get that. You know, it's not really there. And there's giants over there. We can't fight. We can't do anything. We're helpless. We're going to be killed. And besides, they'll be devoured. He says, and they are eaten up with the inhabitants. It's a land that eateth up the inhabitants. With the wild beasts, the bears, and the mountain lions, they'll get us and chew us up. That's the way we look at things of God. And He's already told us that it's ours. 
Isn't that a sad state of affairs when God has promised us something and we sit back and will not take it? Someone says, oh, I just don't have any blessings from God. Why not? Why don't don't you have some blessings from God? The Bible says He's raised us up together and made us, listen, (coughs) sit together in heavenly places in Christ. And it doesn't say He's going to do that. He says He hath saved us by grace and He hath raised us up together and He hath made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. You're sitting right now in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where you are, spiritually. And if you don't enjoy those heavenly places, it's, it's your fault, not God's. Can you imagine how many things we blame on God not doing for us? When He's doing everything in the world for us? He does more than... You know, we had, a, I believe, as a verse that kind of struck me in our last lesson. In uh, chapter 94, turn back a page. In verse 18, it says, When I said, My foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. Sometimes when we feel like everything is falling out and sliding out from under us, we may need to be reminded that it's God's mercy that's held us up. So there's always something good to look at. I remember that verse especially when I was teaching it last week. And uh, I hope it's implanted. You know the Holy Spirit has a way of implanting things on your hearts and minds that you need to know. And I trust that He's doing that. I I hope He's doing that. Well, it's time to get into the next uh, psalm, Psalm 96. And I just have about two minutes, so I don't believe I will open that up. Uh, We'll take that in our next lesson. Psalm 96 will be our next lesson. I had three of them tonight, and we got one. But anyway, thank the Lord for that one. And thank the Lord for y'all. I'm thankful for every... You know, I just love you guys. Every Christian, every person, and God's Word, and I'm glad you're here. And I'll tell you what, if you'll make it a habit of being in the house of God, your life is going to be blessed. But if you make it a habit of doing other things and filling your minds with stuff that doesn't matter or maybe not good for you, you're not going to prosper and be blessed. But if you just come to God's house, if you study God's Word, if you pray, uh, you're going to be blessed. And you'll be blessed as a Christian. Your life will be blessed. Your family 